Welcome to the Success IQ podcast, the show for entrepreneurs wanting to create and live an exceptional life. I'm your host, Jeff Nicholson, and this is episode 159. For those of you who are new to the show, welcome. I'm a specialist in performance and mindset, working with business owners all over the world, supporting them to be the best and perform at their highest levels in life and business. And I achieve this through my coaching and online programs. I started this podcast to discover how other thought and business leaders create and enjoy success and to identify common strategies and techniques as well as the mindset they have adopted to live their version of exceptional. My aim is simple. It's for you to learn and implement the valuable lessons shared in these episodes. You deserve to live and enjoy an exceptional life, but in order to achieve this, you will need to adopt new strategies and ways of thinking to achieve your goals. Now. On with the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Success IQ podcast. And we are bringing back to someone who is regularly listening to the show. You'll all know them. He's the man who shall not be named, um, Simon Raybolt. Simon, you're right. I'm doing okay, and I'm kind of going. This is the third time on the show. I'm a three. Do I get an award for being a three timer? I think we'll end up getting messages going, are you actually that desperate for guests? But don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sai, I wanted to get you on the show um, for the third time, um, really because you're working on uh, something at the minute that really piqued my interest. And I love the stuff that you do. And we, you know, you're in our mastermind together, so we often talk about stuff. Um, and it's the, the power of the story. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the, you know, what it is that you're working on, and then we'll sort of weave in and dive into it a bit more. Okay, so it's 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 it, at its crudest, it is just simply a hashtag. It goes hashtag reluctant storyteller. That's it. Um, and, and what sits behind that is the whole idea that we are told constantly these days to tell stories or tell our story or tell stories and, and get it, get it, get it, but without being told how and without being told why. And that leads to some really stupid self-indulgent or just plain wrong uses of, of storytelling. Uh, and the reason I've gone for the reluctant storyteller thing is because basically that's, that's me. I'm, I'm very reluctant to share my personal story. Um, but because most people, most normal rational people don't want to volunteer to tell stories. Um, they know they've got to because that's what makes their presentations more impactful. It's what makes them more interesting in the pub. Even remember those days when we could go to the pub, Jeff, and 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 meet and have a drink and you know tell stories and stuff. Um, but there's a whole bunch of research that even a formal business presentation, just talking to the board. When you're going, this is the figures for the last three months' turnover. Actually, a better way of getting the board to engage with that is to go, this is the story of our turnover over the last three months, and to show it as a graph or to tell the story of it or whatever, rather than just to give the data. So there's this whole raft of circumstances where storytelling, even for reluctant storytellers, becomes really powerful and really useful. I like that. I like that because I think you, you're so right. You know, when you when you speak to people and they start, you know, your content marketing strategy needs to be about telling the story of what you do or what your brand is or everything. But, you know, to many people who are coming in, it doesn't matter whether it's they work for themselves or whether they are working for someone and they're employed. It's as much as it's natural in having telling stories to a mate sitting at a pub, 
we probably don't use it as much as we should within that sort of professional sort of capacity. Yeah, I think there's a number of reasons for that. The first is that pe- some people are just shy about telling stories. <laughs> then there are people like me who go, my, the story of my project, the story of why I'm doing this is my story. It is not your story. And while I would share that with close mates uh, in a pub, I'd even share it with you. I wouldn't share it with strangers because, and here's the key phrase, it's none of their damn business, end quotes. And then there's a whole bunch of reasons to do with some people. For some people, I just don't know how to do it. Maybe they don't have the confidence or they don't have the technical skills, but they're just kind of going, nobody would be interested and I don't know how to do it anyway. So a whole lots of reasons there. So where does, where does someone start? Because there'll be some people and, you know, when we start, when you look at that, you'll, you'll have two different the easiest way to separate them is introverts and extroverts. So the introverts, would you say, are more often will be able to talk about themselves to the extroverts? Um, extroverts talk. Whether they talk about anything useful is is, is another matter. Um, and and the, the, I found that it works on both extremes, to be honest, because what happens is that extreme extroverts tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, tell stories, tell, without thought. And sometimes what that does is it means they're telling the wrong stories or overtelling stories or not telling the right stories. Uh, more often they're telling stories about themselves because they're trying to figure out what's the hell's going on. So they make a presentation and the examples they use are personal. You know, I was raised by alligators and all that kind of oh, stuff, which too. just alienates you. <laughs> and, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the other extreme, the extreme introvert introverts are going, it's none of your business. Kindly, kindly bugger off. You know, what I, what I do inside my own head is, is, is in my own head. And one of the big things I've been working on recently is helping particularly the introverts, because I sympathize with them more because I'm, I'm an introvert, but also the extroverts to figure out how, and here's the key phrase, not how to tell stories, but how to use stories. So you don't tell stories for the sake of it. You tell stories for a reason. I mean, even at, even at its most cruel, uh, mo- most sort of crude, if you like, um, this is going to mean nothing to your listeners who weren't brought up in the UK, but we used to have a programme on British television called Jack and Ori. And, and somebody who just sat down and read a story looking at the camera. And after that time, it was time for bed. And it was literally, it was just a story. But even just telling bedtime stories has a reason. So, for example, I'm assuming, Jeff, I don't know, but I'm assuming that somebody used to read you bedtime stories. It was statistically, it would be your mum, but it could have been anybody. They didn't read you a bedtime story because they wanted to read you a bedtime story. No, no. They read you a bedtime story to get you to calm down so you would go to sleep so that they could have the evening to themselves. Thank you very much. They were using a story. Even at its very crude, that the stories was there for a, for a purpose, and that's just the, that's using the process of telling the story, because there's also the whole other bucket of stuff over here, which is using the content of the story to make a point, and that's that's a different. But either way, it's about using rather than telling for the sake of telling. Yeah, because I, I I remember, although you will laugh at this, I remember learning Latin. 
for a small period of time. And for a dyslexic to learn English is tough, but for a dyslexic to learn Latin, by God, that was difficult. But I remember in part of that, for some reason, we also learned about you know mythology and the the different types of stories and i've always i was always fascinated with jason and the argonauts or you know the and the golden fleece and those sort of things but all of those stories originally came really and even the bible you know you look at some of the stories within the bible and they're there to teach you a lesson of something um and we talked just the other day about um you know the great some of the great little japanese and chinese stories about different lessons and those sort of things yes i I love haiku you know the the 13 syllable thing because it, it forces you to to think exactly what is the point of this story what is it i'm trying to say so that you can't waffle on Limericks are the same. I, I know limericks are designed to get you to laugh, but you've, you've got a very clear structure. You've only got five lines at the end of which you have got to have done the thing which you set out to do. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because when I, when I first started and I started to train as a therapist, we, um, we were originally given, um, we were told to, uh, when we were doing hypnotherapy, we were told to do... Um, free-flowing content which meant that because sometimes you go on people who do different depends on who you train with and how good they are is you will get a a book full of scripts and quite often you would find that when the uh, the client closes their eyes they're just sitting there reading the script so it's a it's a very purposely formed script to create a certain result that that script being a story or at least a way of getting the exactly yeah yeah exactly and you know whether it be something like i don't know a staircase to get you into induction or whatever it is there was a there was a reason for each story but we were told to create them using the conversation that we had had with the client to weave a specific story for each client we worked with um and that also got me to think about what you were talking about was the benefit of that. It's a great art to whether you believe or uh, don't believe in certain therapeutic approaches, but actually to be able to have a skill set of, of telling a story and using a story to deliver a message. Because sometimes the story, certainly within the, the hypnotherapy side, the story could have three different outcomes. You know, it's the induction is one story. Then you've got the the getting you into the trance is a second story, and then cr- producing a result is a third story. But all of them have to weave, or at least there's a three place. They're, they're not not so much stories, but they are places where you use stories. They're, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's it's really interesting when you do that sort of thing. So for those reluctant storytellers, where do they actually start? What is the process of that to actually start? Oh, it's, it's always always easier, always easier to start with other people's stories because they're, I mean, not always, as a generalisation, it's easier to start with other people's stories because they're less personal, they're less threatening. Um, and quite often if I'm on stage or making a presentation, I will tell stories about other people rather than, rather than myself. For two, it's the first, obviously, it's less threatening for me. But also it has a huge advantage of being less threatening for the audience. So suppose I'm standing on stage and I tell a story about um, walking past armed guards to carry a baby into hospital when the armed guards weren't going to let you carry the baby into hospital. And and it's a very heroic, powerful thing to do, which is a, a story I tell about one of my kids. 
if it had, if I'd gone, and then I walked up to the armed guard and said, I'm taking this baby into the hospital and you can't stop me. Are you going to shoot me? You know, it, that's, that's, that's quite an intimidating story for the audience because they can't live up to that sort of... But if I tell that story as though someone else has done it, it is someone else's story, it's not only easier for me to tell because it's not about me, but it's also easier to hear because it's not about me. Um, because one of the things, one of the beauties of stories is that they, they, they should give messages or they can give messages without being challenging or without being overly challenging to the audience. So, for example, a, a, a simple metaphor is a story. If I'm trying to tell you that you're fat or short or bald or whatever, I, I wouldn't necessarily go, Jeff, you need to lose about 19 stone, mate. You're looking a bit porky. You know, I would use a story, a metaphor about a bloke who was overweight who, you know, and, and you hear the message without being attacked. Yeah, no, I get, I get that. Because I think as well as, as, it, as you say, is it, do you, is it something as well that, that they, it should be something they should be comfortable with being able to talk about their own stories or it doesn't, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we, we, talk, we, lot, we talk a lot about scars, not scabs. <laughs> I am quite comfortable to share a story about something painful now that I have recovered from it. And, and I might have a scar because of it. But if that scar is still weeping and still bleeding, I, I, I shouldn't be talking about it because that's not for the audience. All I'm doing at that point is using the story for my own benefit as a catharsis to help me recover from whatever the hell it is I'm telling the story about. Yeah, I am. Um, I remember years ago witnessing one of the worst cases of that I've ever seen. I was chairing a, a group and um, a, the guest speaker came on and that's literally what it was. It was almost like a therapy on stage. And I, I don't know. Well, it didn't matter whether you had had a tr therapeutic training background or a coaching background like me or you weren't. They, the whole audience could clearly see that the stuff that they were trying to say, this is what you should do, they actually hadn't achieved the result. So it was a lot harder for them to believe that that was possible because they hadn't moved through and transitioned into creating the scar, not the scalp. Yeah, they were using the audience as therapist. Yeah, never a good, never a good thing. No. There's there's a very rude phrase that I use for that, which I wouldn't possibly use on a on a on a, such a classic podcast as this. Um, but it finishes with if it, it's online emotional, and and the third word um, finishes the third the third word finishes with a word that rhymes with nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, I I've heard you use that very true. <laughs> well, it happens quite a lot. I mean, one of the most the highly one of the most highly paid and hardest working, and actually a really nice guy in in as a, as a professional motivational speaker in the UK for a long time was using their i'm very carefully not saying it's a him or a her but the, using their personal story uh, as what they were talking about but in fact it was transparently obvious to everybody who was hearing that they were telling that their story in order to recover from the trauma yes. of their story yeah, yeah, yeah. um it happens all the time i mean to be fair i, I can't because i've done it everyone does it up to a point you just have to make you know you have to put in, in place policies uh, and checks and balances to make sure you don't do it to your audience's detriment 
Yeah. So, so the first stage is tell other stories first to get, I guess that's to gain confidence or to gain some sort of the experience. Yeah. It, it, it gives you, it gives you the confidence and it gives you something to practice on and it doesn't threaten the audience. But then if you do move on to your own personal stories, you have to be very careful which stories you tell. So you don't tell scab stories. You only tell scar stories. Um, and then you have this question of how the hell do you find these stories you know what stories yeah what stories do you tell that is going to serve the audience and serve the message you're talking about so um what i've done in the past and i tend not to do it now because i've got so many but what i've done in the past is every time anything interesting has happened i've jotted it down in what i call my jackanory file um i just and i actually i use evernote for it but you can use anything you like but um i'm a bit of an evernote fan because it tags things for me in terms of place and space and, and date and time and all of that kind of jazz and you record the story and sometimes that means that you can go back and find stories again in, in evernote if you you know if you have forgotten them but also the process of writing it into Evernote fixes it in your head but the thing I really, really do um, is whenever I tell, whenever I capture one of these stories, is I jot down a couple of hashtags about what that story illustrates. Um, so that uh, the same story about um, I don't know getting a new mobile phone, for example, could be an illustration of persistence, or it could be an illustration of stupidity. If you know how I broke my old mobile phone, or it could be an illustration of how cool customer service was, or technology integration, or whatever. Because I just get a new phone and I hold it up to my Mac, and my Mac goes, "Okay, I recognise that phone. Everything done. Bang." So it, it could be a whole bunch of things like that. So you you tag each story. So that each story, you know what it can be used for. I like that because then you have a, you don't just become a one-trick pony for that specific lesson. You could have a load of stories that you could use to tailor for a specific audience, even as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of audiences, the tag that I always include—I mean, always include, absolutely always—is I tag where that story came from because you don't want that story to go back to where it came from because that's too challenging and too threatening so you know if i'm telling a story about um an md of an organization or a ceo of an organization who made a rather embarrassing mistake blah 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 i won't take it to the organization where it came from because i don't want to undermine the credibility of that ceo absolutely yeah very good point yeah the only time yep the only time it's ever gone wrong in 10 years of doing this was was spectacular breathtaking bad luck where i took a story from company a to company b six months apart and in the six months, somebody had moved from company A to company B. I mean, what are the chances of that? Because somebody moved from company A to company B. And as I told the story around the boardroom, their response was, do you know, exactly that sort of thing happened in where I used to work. <laughs> it, it took every bit of professionalism. Yeah. <laughs> and then you shrink. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It took every bit of professionalism for me not to go, oh, 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 really? Where, where did you work? Did you used to work at such a... Oh, my God! <laughs> I, I, but actually, that's, that's, that's kind of the response you want in many ways because you want people to identify with the story. You don't want them to go, that would never happen because they can't learn from that would never happen. That You want them to go, I recognise that. 
don't want it to say, I recognize that happened to my boss or that happened to me because that's too threatening. But you want them to go, I recognize that concept. I recognize that message. I recognize that. I recognize that fundamental truth, whatever the story is about. I think that's brilliant. I, I, I love that. And 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 for you, do you specifically see it? Who do you really see this benefiting in from your point of view? Kind of the whole reluctant storyteller agenda at the time. Yeah. Okay. It's. I think the people who are most going to benefit from it are those people who recognise that they need to tell stories or use stories, whatever, in their presentations, particularly, but in their private lives too. But who don't yet figure out how. <laughs> Um, maybe they're shy, maybe they don't have the tech to do it, maybe they don't know the emotional skills to do it, but they recognise it should be done. So I'm, I'm kind of hoping that, that, you know, the hashtag says it all, reluctant storyteller. Um, and they could be, they, yeah, they could be introverts going, I don't want to share this, or they could be shy extroverts going, I do want to share this, but I don't know how, or you name it. So it's people that are kind of going, yeah, I want to, I recognise I want to, don't want to at the same time. Don't know how. I, I'm like, I need. I need. I need. I need a phrase for want to. Don't want to. At, at, at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You may be able to create your own word. Who knows? Well, my 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 own poor man. Hey, if it's good enough for Shakespeare, who made up was it a couple of hundred words? I think it was a couple of thousand. Actually. He just made up words because there wasn't a word in the English language for it. Buff Shakespeare makes one up and it becomes part of the English language. I do that all the time, as you know. Yeah, you don't do it on purpose, though. The last that's the last one I made up. The last one I made up was bad advice, which I kind of like. It's it's bad advice put together. Bad advice. Yes. You've got learning to tell someone else's. You've got curating some sort of um, location to collect your stories. Is what's the sort of next evolution of that? Oh, the ultimate stage. The ultimate stage is telling the audience's story without telling it. <laughs> We're getting very zen. We're getting very zen at this point. But if you really want your audience, whoever that audience is, to engage with you, the best, per, the best story to tell is their story. Okay. Now, the, the problem with that, of course, is that you've got two people in a room. You can't, unless they've got perfectly identical experiences, you can't tell their story to, to, to both of them. So the idea is to do something which allows the people in the audience to infer their own story without you actually having said it. So maybe maybe you ask a question or maybe you show a graph or maybe you show a cartoon and the audience, each member of the audience then fills in the story for themselves inside their, their own head. It's something that cartoonists are really good at. You just put a couple of lines on a page and the audience fill in what has happened to get to that point. So it's a really silly example, a, a, a stupidly, breathtakingly stupid example. Um, Hemingway is, is famous for having told a, a story of six words. Now, he didn't, before anybody writes in and goes, it wasn't Hemingway, it was... Uh, I, I know Hemingway didn't, but his publicists pretend he did. So let's pretend it was Hemingway. And, and the short story is, for sale, baby shoes, never worn. Now, that's not a story. That's an advert. But what you do is you make up the story in your head about why somebody would be selling baby shoes that have never been worn. So the ultimate art of the storyteller... Is, is to get the audience to tell their own stories to themselves. I like that. 
I'm trying to think. The only the only one I can think that possibly could be like that that I know is the um, it's the egg, the carrot, and the coffee bean. When it's when when so basically the story is is that an old woman tells their daughter who's going through some challenges and says and puts down an egg, a carrot, and a coffee bean and puts three cups of water there and uh, boiling water and she says okay so when you deal with adversity which in this case is the hot water would you be the egg the carrot or the coffee bean the egg is a hard shell with a malleable middle but as soon as it hits adversity it goes rock hard and the shell crumbles are you the carrot who's quite hard and 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 deals with things but when you hit the hot water it goes flimsy and soft or are you the coffee bean who deals with adversity and changes the situation? And I've I've used that in many therapeutic approaches um, about dealing how to, how to challenge adversity and stuff. And I just love the story. It does that quick synopsis doesn't give it justice. No, no, absolutely. But what that does do is is give us another way of using stories, which because they become a cultural shorthand. You know, now that you've told me that story, if I ever come to you at some point and go, freaking hell, I'm stuck out, yada, 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 adversity, yada, yada, all you have to do is go carrot, coffee, bean, bean. yeah, an, an egg. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's- um, and it, it becomes an insight. So, for example, in our house, um, all we have to do is, is say the number 42 and somebody starts to laugh. <laughs> because we've had Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy gags going on, you know, and for those of anybody who's listening who has no idea what I'm talking about with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, what A, you? how young are you? <laughs> and B, if you don't understand the number 42, what the hell are you doing with your life? Just go and read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because yeah. if you don't, you're, you're, you're it's, a, it's and a if you don't like necessity. it, you're wrong. <laughs> it, it should be a legal requirement to it do should. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy stuff. It should be read before Hamlet. And, and stuff really oh hell I <laughs> absolutely well along, alongside um, but let's not carry it away uh, but just just use what we do now is 42 is now no longer the story of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy 42 is the story of all the times we have laughed as a family while while doing that um, so you know we can get stupid things like uh, how many grams of uh, how many grams of flour go into so and so forty two giggle 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 no seriously how many grams of flour uh, it, it becomes a it becomes a narrative for the family it does yeah yeah and and family I'm using here as a, as a shorthand for any group of people who share the same hook around the same story yeah no I love that I love that so how can people find out more about the um, the reluctant storyteller. Oh, um, at the moment we're, we're just pre-launch. We're about to go live in February twenty-one. Um, so we are twenty-one now, aren't we? So February, yeah. Uh, you, you know that thing where you can't get used to the year before it's. I do. Well, let's let's face it. As much as we want to forget twenty twenty, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> there were a couple of good things happening in twenty twenty. You know. So. Yeah. Did you get any good stories in twenty twenty? Um, I got lots of good stories in 2020. Some of them are politically inappropriate, but we'll, you know. Um, in fact, politics was a comedy story in 2020, wasn't it? Um, so this February, this February, we're just launching, actually. Uh, so we're in the pre-launch collection phase now. So anybody who recognises themselves as being a reluctant storyteller who wants to find out more, take it further, get the training, join on board, join the revolution, whatever, if they go to reluctant.com, 
presentationgenius.info. So my normal website is presentationgenius.info. And all you do now for the reluctant storyteller is go to reluctant.presentationgenius.info. And whatever the heck we're doing for reluctant storyteller will always be either signposted or rerouted from reluctant presentation genius info. That's fantastic. I mean, it's certainly something, uh, I mean, I'm certainly going to look into it, but it's something I would have loved to have had when I was training as well, many, many years ago. So, um, yeah. You'd have been the the world's awful worst client, I suspect, but you know. (laughs) Uh, Deliberately, my friend, deliberately. (laughs) But um, I just want to take this opportunity to wish you the greatest success with the reluctant storyteller in, uh, in February as well. Thank you very much indeed. Looking forward to it. First of all, just let me say a massive thank you for joining me today. It's lovely to know that you're out there listening. And it's great to have the emails that I get from you with suggestions about the show and what you think about the show. That's really nice. Really does help me make the show even better. If you'd like to find out more about me and the types of services I offer or my social media links, then please visit www.jeffnicholson.uk. You can also join us on the Facebook page. Just search for Success IQ Podcast. And that's a new page that we've put up that I'm trying to grow and develop. So you can tune in and find us on other stations such as Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, and of course, iTunes. And if you have the time, it would be great if you could pop over there, leave a rating, leave a review, because it really does help me grow the show and make the impact that I'm really looking for. So just to say, I hope you have a fantastic week. I wish you the greatest success and I look forward to speaking to you next week. Take care.